Under Why? whose authority who's are you not issuing laws? Under God's authority. Your lawyers tell you. I don't believe God tell you to do this. Did God tell you to treat us? I don't believe this. I asked you all to leave. You are interrupting. You can call the police if you want to. This is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, on iTunes, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, RadioOrNot.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com, but today you got me, Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, and what a busy Thursday it is. We should begin outside the federal courthouse in Ashland, Kentucky, where a judge heard the case of Kim Davis. Kim Davis, the county clerk of Rowan County, Kentucky, who refused to issue marriage licenses to any couples once the Supreme Court ruled that marriage equality was the law of the land. What Kim Davis said is, it's not discrimination if I won't give anyone a marriage license. Yeah, we'll see about that. Before we get to how the judge ruled, let's uh, take a little informal survey of the crowd outside the courthouse, shall we? Represents garbage. This flag represents Satan. This flag represents evil. This flag represents evil. No, this I want to see everyone gay, straight, black, white, purple, orange, green, doesn't matter. You need to get married because you love who you love, and that is your right as a human being to marry who you want to. This is not a church. This is not a church. This is not a church. Oh man, I wanted my kids to be here and see this moment in history, to see this heroine, this courageous woman of God who is willing to defy the courts and defy the people who are telling her that she cannot do what is on her conscience, that she cannot follow God's word. For Kim Davis, it is a sin for her to sign her name to a marriage license between a man and a man, a marriage license between a woman and a woman. That is a defilement of her conscience. She cannot do it. And to be forced to do so when she's been a faithful clerk of court all of these years and elected by the people, mind you, to be forced to do this uh, is is a terrible thing. This is about following the current law as a gov- government official. And for so long, you know, we had to follow the law. We had to follow the law that wasn't there for us. You know, we weren't allowed to be married. We weren't allowed to serve in the military free. We weren't allowed to do many things. And, um, you know, we're at a point now that we've gained some of those rights. And now they're claiming that their rights are being, you know, taken away. I'm a Christian man. She's a Christian woman. And I believe Christians... uh, at this point in time need to stand up for their faith and what they believe in. 
and that's all she's doing. The Supreme Court court made the ruling clear, and just just uh, obey the ruling, or or if if it truly is against your belief system, uh, quit your job. Uh, but but uh, you can't have it both ways. Don't tell me I'm not following the rules. You have no right to tell me that you're not God. I think she should be fired because if you go to your job and you say, "Boss man, I'm not doing my job," what's going to happen? Well, alrighty then. All right, so no consensus outside the courthouse. Well, we'll go back in a little while to find out how the judge ruled. But we've got a full slate of information for you today on the Thursday edition of the broadcast. But uh, before we leave the subject of Kim Davis, even for a little while, I want to share with you one of the best things that I found on Twitter today. This came courtesy of James F. Trum, who you can follow on the Twitter machines at J-F-T-R-U-M-M. He says he's a teacher, traveler, learner, lover, reader, writer, American expat, China and Tunisia, and world wanderer, temporarily stateside. And while he's stateside, well, he took his knowledge of, of current events and of... Gilbert and Sullivan to come up with a truly original missive that I will now read for you with the permission of the author, James F. Trum, who also gives apologies to Mr. Gilbert. All right, you ready? Here we go. I am the very model of a modern fundamentalist. I'm not merely judgmental. I'm the absolute judgmentalist. I always follow scripture and I act on God's authority, though marital longevity was never my priority. I married first one husband, then two others, then another one, because I think one man is pretty much like any other one. I've never been too troubled by the dubious legalities of sex outside of marriage or of other trivialities. But when it comes to icky stuff like homosexuality, I'm always very strident with my Puritan morality. In short, in matters biblical and spiritual and Calvinist, I am the very model of a modern fundamentalist. In questions of behavior, I fall back on my Old Testament, though saying no to shrimp is way too much of an impediment. I pick and choose the verses that support my little Weltenschang and pledge never to change my mind from now until Gutterdammerung. I'll ride this hobby horse until I'm richer than a Sebarite. There'll always be good money in denouncing godless sodomites. I'll put my name as author on some books that I can barely read and get a show on cable to inform the world what God decreed. My husband's all agreed that I know more about what marriage is than five Supreme Court justices whose law my faith disparages. In short, in matters biblical and spiritual and Calvinist, I am the very model of a modern fundamentalist. In fact, when I see what is meant by constitutionality, when I can do my job with requisite impartiality, when I can join in marriage two young men who might be thespians or issue nuptial licenses to enterprising lesbians, when I can see that love is love no matter what the sexes are and understand that gays are just like me and my three exes are, in short, when I have finally got a dose of moral clarity, I'll find out what is meant by the idea of Christian charity. Till then, I'll flout the law and draw my wages from the county tax, which is what God would do if only he was up on all the facts. Till then, in matters biblical and spiritual and Calvinist, I am the very model of a modern fundamentalist. 
Again, with apologies to Gilbert and Sullivan (laughs) and our thanks to James F. Trum on Twitter for the delightful poetry for this Thursday edition of the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler. We're going to take a break. We'll come back and actually talk with David Dayen about a piece he's got up at The Intercept about Hillary Clinton siding with Elizabeth Warren over Robert Rubin the world might actually be coming to an end. And yes, we will still return to Kentucky to find out how the judge ruled in the Kim Davis contempt hearing. It's a busy day on the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. <laughs> Welcome back to the broadcast for a Thursday. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, in for Brad today, so he and Desi can take a nice long weekend. Lots of territory to cover on this Thursday. We still will head back to Kentucky to find out how the judge ruled in the contempt hearing for that clerk who won't issue marriage licenses. Because of God, you know that. Uh, But before we get there, just when we thought we knew the presidential candidates, we learned something new. For instance, today, Donald Trump signed his loyalty pledge. Oh, how quickly they changed their minds. After in the first debate, saying he would not pledge to not run as a third party candidate, now he's singing a different tune. And Hillary Clinton Sides with Elizabeth Warren over Robert Rubin? Really? Joining us on the line is a a fairly regular guest on the broadcast. I'm uh, very happy David Dayen was available to speak with us about a new piece that's up at TheIntercept.com today. The headline reads, Hillary Clinton just picked sides with the Democrats' Warren wing against the Rubin wing. David Dayen, um, this, this is kind of a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Basically, over the last couple months, we have seen this uh, Warren wing, up to and including Elizabeth Warren herself, uh, trying to make a move on who is going to be the key personnel in a future Democratic administration. I mean, we know what Congress is probably going to look like. Republicans are going to have likely control of at least one house uh, after the next election. And so the important factor here is who's going to be the Treasury Secretary, who's going to be the Attorney General, who's going to staff the banking regulatory agencies, who's going to do all of the monitoring, implementation, enforcement of the law that is uh, pretty critical, I would say, 
uh, at this point. So that's really what Warren's focus has been. And, and, and you were, I believe, at Networks Nation uh, this year where she made a speech in July saying that there's this bill out there that Tammy Baldwin wrote called the Financial Services Conflict of Interest Act. And that bill would uh, slow down, limit uh, what is known as the revolving door between Washington and Wall Street. It would uh, limit people rotating out of government from becoming lobbyists uh, for a longer period of time. Uh, it would extend that from one to two years. It would force uh, people coming from Wall Street into government to recuse themselves on any decisions they make that would affect their former firms. And then the biggest thing is that it would prevent these golden parachute payments that uh, former Wall Street executives are given for entering government service. Uh, which is a, a, a pretty nagging problem, something we've seen for the last several years. Uh, the Treasury Secretary, Jack Lew, who was at Citigroup, got a golden parachute payment. The current U.S. Trade Representative, Michael Froman, who was at Citigroup, got a big golden parachute payment. Um, there was this fight over, you might remember, Antonio Weiss, uh, who was an investment banker at a bank called Lazard. And uh, he uh, was trying to become the number three person at Treasury. Uh, Elizabeth Warren actually very waged a very public battle to stop that from happening. Right. He ended up becoming a counselor to Treasury Secretary Jack Lew. He got a twenty-one million dollar payment. Uh, oh my God. Uh, Usually these usually these payments are um, acceleration of deferred compensation. A lot of the compensation on Wall Street is deferred, and the reason that's done is to keep top executives within the company uh, because you don't get the money if you leave sure. for a competitor. However, uh, when those uh, executives rotate into government, that, that deferred compensation is immediately accelerated and handed to uh, these executives. Now, there's only two reasons that, that, that you know, there's only two implications of that. One is it's a complete waste of shareholder money to give someone who's leaving the firm a, a big bonus at the end. Or two, it's a bribe. It's, it's a way for that firm to ensure that their interests will be protected inside Washington. And the uh, Financial Services Conflict of Interest Act, this Baldwin bill, would ban those golden parachute payments for government service. And uh, Warren endorsed this bill and said every presidential candidate on the Democratic side should be able to endorse this bill. And Martin O'Malley came out very quickly. Bernie Sanders came out very quickly, endorsed the bill. Mm -hmm. uh, Sanders, being in the Senate, is actually a co-sponsor of it. Right. War uh, Clinton said nothing for uh, a couple months. Uh, last week, uh, uh, several progressive groups uh, reiterated this challenge to Clinton saying, what, what is your position on this? What will you do if you are in the White House and staffing an administration? Would you adhere to these principles? So this week, after weeks and weeks, uh, Clinton wrote an op-ed with Tammy Baldwin, the author of this bill, uh, in the Huffington Post saying that she endorsed this and so, and, and, and by the way, Clinton was, was kind of constrained here 
by the fact that when she served as Secretary of State, two of her top aides, Thomas Knives and Robert Hormatz, received golden parachute payments from their prior firms, which were Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. So she, she had experienced this firsthand. She, she allowed this to happen on her watch as Secretary of State, and both Knives and Hormatz were tapped as potential future uh, uh, members of a Clinton administration. Knives went from Morgan Stanley to the State Department, then went back to Morgan Stanley and is being rumored as going back to the administration if, if Hillary Clinton manages to win. So she was really up against the wall on this, and she had to make a decision, and she chose uh, the decision that, that, you know, going with the Warren wing, going uh, with limiting the revolving door. And this is a really big deal because, uh, as I've said, there, there's, there's this kind of battle, an ideological battle within the party between the Wall Street wing and the reform wing. And it's really played out in terms of personnel. Who is going to run these various agencies? We saw it in the fight to stop Larry Summers from becoming yes. the chairman of the Federal Reserve. We saw it in this Antonio Weiss fight that I mentioned before. And uh, a lot of it comes down to sort of the wing that's identified with Elizabeth Warren and the wing that's identified with Robert Rubin. And, and we know that the Obama administration staffed itself with all these Rubenites uh, coming in right at the beginning, people who were associated with Rubin either as Treasury Secretary or at Citigroup. And, uh, and that's ultimately it, it helped drive the policies that we got out of the Obama administration right. and coming out of the Great Recession. Right. But the thing mm-hmm. that, 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 again, that I, I guess, you know, sort of goes without saying, but we need to say it, is this is the team that came in with Bill Clinton and dominated the party and uh, uh, overseeing the financial uh, aspects mm-hmm. of Democratic Party operations since the Clinton years. And, um, you know, one of the, the my favorite parts of reading Elizabeth Warren's wonderful book is her at the, the very beginning. She talks about when she first gets to Washington and um, she finds herself sitting down with with Larry Summers, who gives her some right. friendly advice. And basically he says to her, you can either be an insider or or an outsider. My advice to you is to be with us, be an insider. And Elizabeth Warren, I think, uh, after that, wore her flag of outsider proudly, (laughs) right, and loudly. And so now you have this scene, this scenario where everyone, everyone wants some of that Elizabeth Warren juju, whether it's Hillary Clinton um, or or Joe Biden, who we learned, you know, had a secret meeting right. with her. And we know that there's no great love loss between the two of them. And now to see Hillary Clinton, I, I didn't realize that it had taken her, you know, a few weeks to come out and say, well, you know, she'll side with the populists, with the Warren wing of the Democratic Party over the Rubin wing, which you know, really, you could say was Bill Clinton's wing, right? That's yeah. why this is such a big yeah. deal. And, and and what's, I mean, it is a big deal. And, and Warren is kind of changing what it means to be an insider within the Democratic Party. Now, this is, of course, just a bill. And Clinton is saying, okay, I endorse this bill. And Bill's, you know, sit there and linger and hang around forever and ever and ever. However, this is a bill that Hillary Clinton can fully enact 
simply by staffing her administration if she ends up becoming president, because everything in the bill is about who, uh, you know, limitations and, and rules upon who becomes uh, a, a government worker in a, a future, in high-level positions in, in, in a future administration. So now this is a tool, right? I mean, if Hillary Clinton happens to win the presidency, a week after that happens, Elizabeth Warren can, can write a letter that says, well, congratulations, and during the campaign you endorsed this policy of, of you know, strict uh, crackdowns on Wall Street golden parachute payments and crackdowns on, on having people in positions of authority in your administration that have close ties to Wall Street, and I assume you're going to hold to that. And she can say that from a position of strength because we have Clinton's position already written down. Uh, she's also in the Senate and is a, a prominent voice in the Senate that would be confirming those individuals for those positions. So uh, this is a powerful lever to really change the mix of personnel in a future Democratic administration. And it means that the, the Rubin gang is, is kind of sucking wind here. Right. Right. Well, they're, they're, they're the ones certainly bringing up the rear because they lose in any scenario, it seems. And, and I think for the rest of us, that's a good thing. But then let me take it a step further, David Dane, and let me ask you uh, the, my next question, especially given the news today um, of, of more uh, of the emails of, as they're released each month. This time we're finding um, another number, and I don't recall exactly what it was, but another number of emails that should have been classified by uh, virtue of, of the subject matter contained therein. Um, for the longest time, I'd been saying, look, you, they throw so much crap against the wall just to see what sticks. This is another one of those instances. With each passing day, though, I don't know if it's just, you know, the Clinton effect. This is how they cover the Clintons, um, and there's mm -hmm. really no there there. It's just more of the same, just, you know, th throwing stuff against the wall. Or if this really is uh, as serious as our uh, corporate media is making it out to be, do you think she can survive this? Well, I mean, uh, I, I, I do think that a lot of the, the email scandal is kind of a nothing burger. Um, however, in the context of this particular issue that we've been talking about, I think what's important to keep in mind is now we have a situation where every major candidate on the Democratic side has endorsed this bill and this, this policy framework for how to staff their next administration. And uh, if, even if Joe Biden gets in the race, I mean, Joe Biden, as you said, just had an hours-long chat with uh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, he's looking for ways to get the Hillary's left. It is very unlikely that he would abandon, uh, uh, you know, this, this kind of policy idea, too. So I, I feel like it doesn't matter who the Democratic nominee is, we're going to see this policy framework and this, this conception of how to staff your next administration enacted. And that's a really chilling effect for people on Wall Street who might have wanted to get into the mix uh, in governing uh, in a democratic administration. I mean, they're, they're first of all going to have to leave a bunch of money on the table. Uh, they're going to be uh, looked upon skeptically. 
they're going to have to go through all sorts of hoops in terms of uh, ethics rules and things of that nature. And uh, I, they might not see that it's worth it to try to, to, to take that tactic and to actually go ahead and, and move into government. And that's really different. I mean, it, it, it's night and day between what we saw, you know, in, in 2008, when uh, after President Obama won, he gave the uh, hiring manager position for the economic team to two people. One was Michael Froman, who was actively at Citigroup at the time that he was picking the Obama economic team. And he was Robert Rubin's chief of staff. The other was Jamie Rubin, who's Robert Rubin's son. Oh, God. So those are the two people who were doing all the hiring of the economic team in the Obama administration. I think that now, based on what has transpired over the last couple months, there is no way you would see anything similar to that, no matter who would be a an incoming Democratic president. And that's a very important thing. And obviously... Uh, you know, there might not be a Democratic president, and, and, and this, this doesn't get implemented at this time, uh, but it signals a real shift in thinking uh, between uh, the, the Rubin wing to the Warren wing of the party. And I, I think that it's kind of under the radar, but it's terribly important. Yeah, it is. And this is a fascinating article. I will uh, link to it from RadioOrNot.com and, and from the Brad blog. Dot com. I'll, I'll make sure it's in the description of, of today's program. Uh, it's up at theintercept.com. Just search for David Dan and you'll find it there. You know, this reminds me of um, when President Obama came into office, uh, you know, we were told that the revolving door of lobbyists was going to end. That didn't end. I mean, they make these policy pronouncements, but oftentimes um, they, it seems like lip service. But this would actually be codified in law if this Baldwin bill passes, and it looks like it should, right? Well, it's going to be difficult for it to uh, because pass Republicans, Republicans have the majority. Right. Uh, it, the difference between, I think, the difference between Obama paying lip service to this and and what we've seen with Hillary Clinton is that, you know, Warren is in the Senate, in a position where she can enforce a lot of this policy, and she has a platform and a microphone to, to really blow these situations up. She's already done it on, on Larry Summers, on Antonio Weiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has made it very difficult for the Obama administration to get Wall Street guys uh, confirmed through the Senate. Uh, and that's even while she's in the minority uh, in, in, in the Senate. Uh, there's, there's another case, a guy named Keir Gums, who was going to be put forward as uh, one of the commissioners on the Securities and Exchange Commission, and Warren basically torpedoed that, too, uh, even though she's in the minority. So uh, I, I think that the fact that Warren is around to sort of enforce this policy in many ways or at least use it as a platform uh, and, and, and use the power that she's gained to uh, publicize this policy and publicize whoever it is a Democratic incoming president would select. Uh, that gives it uh, a lot more strength than Obama just saying, okay, I'm going to have the most uh, you know, ethical government 
in the world. Right, right. All right, one last question for you, David, Dan, and I know that uh, obviously neither you nor I were in the room when Joe Biden met with Elizabeth Warren, but I have a pretty good idea of, of what was not done. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that Joe Biden didn't say, hey, Lizzie, if I run, will you be my vice presidential running mate? I, I think um, he basically tried to maybe... Um, uh, make a, 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 a truce or something, because they haven't been on the same side of issues. Elizabeth Warren, who famously came into the Senate to protect our interests, you know, the, 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 the little consumer out here. Joe Biden, we should point out two things. Two of the um, biggest issues, I think, of this campaign season, one of which has to do with mass incarceration. And while uh, Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton has been questioned about it because this um, crime bill came to pass while Bill Clinton was in office. Joe Biden actually wrote that bill that led to, I think, the three strikes um, rules and this mass incarceration. And and furthermore, as a senator from Delaware, he helped write this the, the, the most recent bankruptcy laws that basically um, said, well, you can declare bankruptcy, but you still got to pay that credit card debt, where he came down on the side of the credit cards rather than the side of the consumers. Do I have that stuff right? Yeah, yeah, those and those policies would, if if Biden chooses to run, I'm not sure he will. Uh, those policies will definitely be adjudicated very strongly within uh, a, a Democratic campaign. Um, right, and I would say thing, though, would not have, have to, would not have Elizabeth Warren coming down on his side. Certainly not. But, but there is one other thing that we do have to think about, and that is the fact that. The person who replaced uh, Warren as the chairman of the Congressional Oversight Panel for TARP, and that's kind of where she began her platform as a national figure, is uh, running these oversight hearings for TARP and and questioning Tim Geithner and these things. The person who replaced her is a guy named Ted Kaufman, and Ted Kaufman was a senator from Delaware. He replaced Biden uh, in the Senate. He was Biden's longtime chief of staff and right-hand man. And uh, he was incredibly strong on banking and financial issues, uh, both as a senator, where he co-authored the Brown-Kaufman Act, which would have actually broken up banks and, 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 and put a size cap on how big banks could get. Uh, and he was also, you know, a very strong force within the Congressional Oversight Panel. So, you know, I, I don't know what was said, obviously, at, the, at that meeting, but uh, I would assume that Biden would have pointed to Kaufman, who might have very well been in the room, and said, this is the guy who's going to you know, dictate my uh, policy with regards to financial issues and banking, and maybe I'll make him attorney general. You know, I, I think he could have said something like that to put Warren at ease that that was, uh, you know, the at least the bankruptcy stuff was just sort of a home state thing. There are a lot of credit card companies within Delaware. And when you're a national figure, not a state figure, you don't have to care about that as much. So, I mean, that that could be the explanation of what happened in that room. Uh, and we'll probably never know. Uh, but but I can say it'll be it's going to be a long 14 months ahead. Uh, it, this has been a long couple of months already leading up to this point, and uh, yeah. we haven't even had our first Democratic debate yet. Um, if you had to, if you had to uh, guess, do you think Joe Biden's going to jump in? 
I, I don't. I don't uh, I, I, my guess is that he doesn't do it, uh, that if he wanted to do it, he would have already been making plans to do so. Uh, it, it is getting kind of late, even though it doesn't seem like that, uh, with regards to when the caucuses in Iowa and when the, the primaries in New Hampshire are and, and what you have to do in terms of building an organization to get ready for that. Uh, Biden is not a, historically a great fundraiser. Hmm. Um, the, the, he would maybe get some residual support from Obama funding, uh, but a lot of those people have already committed uh, to to Hillary Clinton or or elsewhere. So uh, I I think it's it's I, I don't know what the family issues are obviously and 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 the the death of Bo Biden and how that's weighing on this decision, uh, but I, I I tend to think that, I also don't think there's much of a rationale for Biden's candidate. Yeah, no, I don't either. Yeah, I, I agree <laughs> you with know, you. He's, he's, he's operating in the exact same space as Hillary Clinton, uh, and, and, and I don't know what makes him more attractive <laughs> other than this assumption that the press wouldn't be as hard on him. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But, but I don't know about that. I've seen how they've treated some of his verbal gas. I just so, I think that, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's just a it's a different Democrat, different day. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they'd find something to go after him on. Anyway, David Dan, the piece up at theintercept.com. Hillary Clinton just picks sides with the Democrats' Warren wing against the Rubin wing. Um, as always, great work. David Dan, I really appreciate you joining me today on the broadcast. No problem. Thank you. By the way, you can find David Dayan on the Twitters at D Dayan, and you find him all over the interwebs. That article we just talked about up at The Intercept. He writes for Salon, The New Republic, um, you name it. He's there. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com filling in for Brad and Desi on the broadcast today. And as promised, when we return, we will go to Kentucky and find out the fate of the rogue county court clerk who will not issue those marriage laws. Meet Scott Walker, corporate whore. The Wisconsin governor says he should be America's president because he's a proven budget whacker who, by gollies, has dressed down teachers, slashed funding for higher education, busted unions, and gone after welfare recipients. He's the Koch brothers' favorite because he's tough on government moochers. Unless, of course, you're a corporate moocher. If a corporation wants public money, well, then Walker's your go-to Wisconsin whore. Wesley Edens could vouch for the governor's willingness to bestow public favors on big men with big money. Edens is a New York City hedge fund gazillionaire who bought the Milwaukee Bucks pro basketball team last year. Showing the usual ethical perversity that afflicts private enterprise sports owners, this flim-flamming carpetbagger immediately demanded a $250 million subsidy from Wisconsin and Milwaukee taxpayers to build a sparkling new sports palace for him. Oh, golly, Scott squealed with unseemly delight. It would be my exquisite pleasure to ramrod the deal through my Republican legislature for you. And I'll also schmooze secretly with Democratic officials of Milwaukee County to get them to put out for you. Edens did his part to consummate this back-alley affair by doling out ownership shares of his basketball team to prominent Republicans, including John Hams, 
a developer who just happens to be co-chairman of the National Finance Committee for Walker's presidential run. This is Jim Hightower saying, sure enough, in mid-August, the beady-eyed governor signed this $250 million giveaway of public money into law. Compounding his sleaziness is the fact that only one month earlier, Walker had slashed $250 million from the budget of the University of Wisconsin. So, if you're keeping score on Scott, corporations get the gold mine, students get the shaft. One more Nicole? She's on live Monday through Friday from 10 to noon Eastern Time and repeating all day at RadioOrNot.com. Listen anytime. Oh, you know, the orange is the new black jokes are a-flying. Twitter is a-flame. And Kim Davis is behind bars. Welcome back to the broadcast. A lot happened today. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, in for Brad and Desi. And let's go out to Kentucky now to find out exactly what happened. Joining us on the line now is uh, Travis Geddes from Raw Story. And, um, uh, you know, the news broke and spread like wildfire throughout the interwebs, Travis, that the federal judge in Kentucky found Kim Davis in contempt of court and sent her to jail. I I don't think anyone expected jail time, did you? No, it, uh, it didn't seem like just based on what the judge had said previous. Uh, to today that that was, you know, an option. So my only my only thinking is he didn't like what he heard from her lawyers and <clears throat> decided that was the best course. Uh, and, and and perhaps um, that that is what the judge you know what what the judge said about the money if he had fined her. Um, he wasn't convinced that you know that some of her followers, you know, her fans, as it were, as frightening as that right. sounds, wouldn't pay it, and so it wouldn't actually be punishing her for um, you know failing to do what the court ordered her to do, which is issue marriage licenses. Right. Yeah. I mean, she had been given multiple court orders, including from the same judge, uh, you know, to to follow the law, the governor had directed her to do that. The attorney general, the state attorney general, had had done the same. And, uh, you know, it, it was pretty clear she wasn't she wasn't going to do that. So, uh, you know, and it's the judge's uh, responsibility to make sure the law is followed. So that's, you know, I guess that's, he figured that was the only option that, that really he had available. Uh, I guess. So now the judge is saying that she will stay in jail until she decides to follow the court's orders i mean do we do we know how long this could uh, could could last it's indefinite i mean it's it's up to her at this point um i was just reading before uh before we uh, spoke and evidently five of the six uh deputy clerks in her office uh, uh agreed that they would uh issue the licenses in her absence the only one who did not was her son who also works in the office and uh Actually, the, the, the son will not be jailed uh, because the, the judge said that, you know, he expected that a son would be loyal to his mom. And, I, you know, I think that's probably, a, you know, a fair 
a fair decision. That's her fight, and you know he, you know, he decided to join it. Right now, I'm but, wondering uh, how did, how did her son? It's a 21 year old son, Nathan. How did he get a job in the the county clerk's office? That sounds you know, that's, sort of like nepotism you know, to that's me. Funny. I didn't realize he was quite that young. Um, I do know that that is certainly not uncommon in Kentucky. I just looked it up, uh-huh. and uh, there is no the statute does not specifically prohibit. Uh, the relatives of public servants from working in their office so long as they do not make the decision to hire them or promote them. Right. Uh, okay. You know, I don't, I don't know the circumstances of his hiring. 21 seems a little young, but you know, I don't, I don't know the, the situation. I will say like, in, for example, I, I live in Kentucky myself and in oh, my dude. county, um, the, the county clerk for 20 some 30 years, uh, his his daughter is now the, the county clerk and has been for six or seven. And uh, Kim Davis's mom actually uh, she was also the county clerk there in Rowan County for forty some years before Kim Davis took over. So you know I'm, I'm thinking there's 120 counties in Kentucky and that's probably not the only two where that's the case. Right. In so fact, she, I see that um, two other clerks, Casey Davis of Casey County, I guess no relation correct. to Kim Davis, um, no, and not. Kay Schwartz of Whitley County are also mm-hmm. both still refusing to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples. I find right, it right. mind-boggling that, you know, after the Supreme Court rules that this is the law of the land, that, a you know, a, a lowly county court clerk uh, could say, sorry, I'm not doing this. Now, in the case of Kim Davis, she couldn't be fired because this is an elected office. The only way she can be removed from office is by impeachment, which uh, doesn't seem like that's likely to happen. Yeah, the legislature has to do that when they, they, they can't even address it until January, so. Wow. So, meanwhile, as long as she's in jail, and then, as you said, um, uh, five of the six other clerks, um, who, by the way, apparently said that they would have uh, issued marriage licenses, but they were afraid of her. Yeah, that's, that is what, uh, there's an interview going around that, uh, that, that, you know, that that was indeed the case, and certainly, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I don't know how... A, what level of fear they have, but certainly I, I suppose they were afraid of losing their jobs. Well, I guess, or, or simply... incredibly awkward in a small office. I guess, but, you know, there's been a, a, a fun Twitter meme uh, over the last day or so mm-hmm. that is the, what is the uh, the uh, assistant clerk, the, the woman next, who sits to, to Kim, Kim Davis's uh, right, Twitter who... Account has a few less than, uh, I guess, attractive expressions on her face. And uh, this poor woman has come under the ridicule of Twitter. Um, but I guess she's one of those who said she would have issued them, but didn't yeah, want to incur the wrath of Kim. Evidently, yeah. That's, uh, and it's funny, I've seen a few of the videos that uh, these couples seeking marriage licenses have reported. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, as I watch those, uh, you know, I've, I've always tried to try to discern some sort of sense from the, the deputy clerks talking whether or not that they agree with this or not. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say for sure, but I, but I always have gotten the sense that those folks are, you know, extremely embarrassed by the whole thing. <laughs> you know, and that's, maybe they're just embarrassed to be, you know, recorded and things like that. You know, you know you're on the job and, you know, maybe you don't want that. But that's the sense I always got. It. I'm not surprised that, that 
none of the others uh, joined her, her battle. Right. Well, uh, Travis Geddes of Raw Story is with us. So you live in Kentucky. That- Kentucky's politics are, are, are kind of strange. Actually, Tim Davis is, is also a Democrat. So I heard that. And like a lot of states, uh, Democrats in Kentucky are, are maybe, or well, certainly are a little different from Democrats in, in northern states or western states. But but not all. It, you know, it's, there's Lexington and Louisville, and then I live near Cincinnati, and up here, Democrats are and then the bigger cities are more traditional or you know in line with other areas but but our, our i would say on the whole our democrats are a whole lot more conservative than than they would be in another state right i, I hear you it's it's uh, it's like on a sliding scale i suppose mm-hmm. anyway so travis yeah. do you know what the what happens from here on out does the judge call kim davis back into the courtroom every day to see if she's you know, seen the error in her ways? Or what What happens yeah, next? Do we know? I don't know. Um, I will say, just speaking from a logistical standpoint, uh, Bunning, the judge, he typically works. His, the courthouse he normally is at is in Covington, which is right right by Cincinnati. Right. Today, he drove to uh, Ashland, which is about two and a half hours away, I suspect, just basically to make it easier on the on the, the deputy clerks who, who had to go up there, you know, to deal with their boss's situation. Um, so she, I understand, is going to be held, oh, it won't be in Boyd County, which is at where Ashland is. I think it's going to be closer to Lexington. There's a handful of jails in the state that house federal prisoners, which she would be considered more like a, a federal prisoner awaiting trial, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, her mugshot probably won't be online, and, uh, you know, she'll be at a county jail. So she would be a couple hours away from the courthouse. So I doubt it would be any kind of like persistent thing. It'll be, I would imagine it's she, that she would contact her attorneys would contact the court to let them know she's got a, you know, she's got something to say, you know, through, through filing a motion or something like that. But I don't, at this point, I mean, she's back pretty far into a corner. I don't see how she just drops this fight real easily. I don't know. Well, I'm thinking... And I really get the sense, this is... I I feel like she's getting really terrible advice from her attorneys. I I don't feel like Liberty Council necessarily has her best interest at heart. They've just found someone who's willing to go along with their their plan. Mm -hmm. You know, I think they probably were looking for someone who was willing to do what she now has done and and found that and found that person in her. Right. Uh, yeah, so and, and I guess this law firm is... a matter of what they want to do, I guess, or she'll get sick of being in jail. You know? uh, and I'm guessing that's how these contempt charges play out. Once you've, you mm-hmm. know, you've you've uh, had your fill of orange uh, and, yeah, and yeah. jail food, you're ready to get back to life. Um, but right. boy, she sounds like she's pretty dug in there. By the way, Liberty Council, some conservative law firm out of Orlando, Florida. I wonder how she even found mm-hmm. them, or did they find her? Oh, yeah, which I'm sure they you know, I'm her. sure they did too. Yeah, the um, yeah, they, <clears throat> they they're pretty aggressive in in finding people who are willing to to go forward with things like this. They. I don't know exactly how they do that, but we—I know I've—I've I've covered them a number of times, and they—they 
they're, they're pretty aggressive. You know, more than anything, this is just a sad, it's a sad story because, um, uh, you know, I, I saw a number of those videos, too, of couples who mm-hmm. went in to try to get their their marriage license and they were turned away. And this huh. one guy, he's like, this is my memory of this day? You know, mm-hmm. how dare you? Under what authority do you turn me down? God's authority. I, I think the woman's yeah. a bit delusional. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's, it, and again, back to the, the Liberty Council, so often when I've read their filings, they're, they they twist the law so much, it's, it's almost a parody. It just kind of is, it's mind-boggling. And, you know, any any attorney is going to look for any angle they can to help their clients. But with some of their filings, I just feel like that, that it's, it, I don't. I feel, it, it just seems that this battle is not just about gay marriage. I feel like it's more part of a, a battle to carve out special, special rights and privileges for religious people too. Right, and uh, this goes back to it in their own special legal sphere, and that you know, and it, that it really that, that same sex marriage is just part of it. Oh, I'm sure, but, and and it is this um uh th- this whole notion of religious freedom as, you know, as codified, I guess, by the Supreme Court in the Hobby Lobby case, basically saying Mm -hmm. that the owner of a company can impose his or her religious beliefs on their employees under the name of religious freedom, but the employees have no rights whatsoever under those same, under that same heading. So obviously there's, there's an issue here and uh, maybe maybe it needs to go back to the Supreme Court. Is that you know with, with Hobby Lobby? That's you know, that's a very good example that they were able to determine that Hobby Lobby could and other you know so-called Christian companies, corporations, uh, being people, of course, um, that they that they're allowed to act within their conscience as as they define it. And I, it, it seems like this is probably a test case to try to carve out that same special right for for public employees. You know, she is an elected official that's, you know, the voters in her county, however many voters in a small county that actually take the time to check the box in the county clerk rates, not everybody does, uh, did elect her. But, you know, she's a public employee. She's elected. She is paid with taxpayer money. It's it's an office. It is not her office, which, again, she's referred to that as her business. And it may seem that way, because, you know, yeah, but it's it's tax for most of her of her life, but you know it, it's. But it's a public office. It's a public yeah, space, and right separation of church and state turned away. Yes, right, right. So I so guess we stay a, tuned. And I don't see how I don't see how how she wins. She hasn't won yet, and the and the Supreme Court, you know, rejected her appeal in the first place. But it may just be a matter of. Liberty Council or the next similar case, finding a, a new twist, a new angle to, to come at it, you know, to, to try to carve out, you know, uh, a special place for Christian public servants to enforce <laughs> Christian laws on oh non-Christian people. On this Christian so. nation, not. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and uh, exactly. so it goes, yes, I have a feeling um, mm-hmm. uh, this is going to go on a lot longer and, and uh, there's going to be mm-hmm. a lot more in terms of ramifications. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in the meantime, old Kim Davis, it looks like, is going to have a nice three-day weekend in jail. And um, <laughs> beginning tomorrow... Good. 
um, that office will likely begin issuing marriage licenses, though, according to your article up at Raw Story, it's still unclear as to whether or not those um, those licenses will be valid. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, exactly. I have seen something else. And strangely enough, the, the county clerk office, maybe that's why they chose Kentucky. Maybe maybe we were kind of a unique situation, but statute seem to have forgotten when it comes to replacing public officials and just some of the various guidelines that were, you know, seen over them, it looks like they forgot to include county clerks in some of those. So there is a lot of un, uh, uncertainty on what might happen next. Mm-hmm. So oh, boy. All I right. know that the county judge executive, which is in, in Kentucky the, the, the top elected position in each county is called the judge executive. They're not actually judges necessarily. They're just an elected uh, administrator, essentially. But they uh, they actually would be the acting county clerk in the absence of the county clerk, which Herbine and Jana would seem to to meet that definition. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so it's kind of strange that, he, that the judge asked the deputy clerk uh, their standpoint, and then you might even that might even open the door a crack to a religious test argument I could see someone bringing. But the, the, I guess David King Davis all along has been saying that the county judge executive could issue these marriage licenses, but to my knowledge, uh, that person has not, and I don't know what their standpoint is. So that that may be that may be something else to happen. But I'm sure that the the three or four couples who have gone multiple times each to get that license. I'm sure that they're all going to be waiting at the at the clerk's office uh, tomorrow before they open up. I would think so, and hopefully we'll get some uh, reporting on that, and uh, tomorrow mm-hmm. we can end this week uh, on, on a happy note. Thinking of yeah, Kim no Davis, you know, uh, l- spending Labor Day weekend in lockup mm-hmm. while these um, other couples are on their honeymoons. I I, exactly. I I think that that's be, a happy that ending. Pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, I would like be, that. <laughs> that would be pretty great. There you <laughs> go, Travis Gettys of Raw Story. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone with us and uh, and oh, helping no us through this. Obviously, there's uh, it, it, we're, the story's not over yet, so uh, no, we'll, no, we'll come back not for more. At all. And it's definitely something that people want to know about, and like we just determined, there's still a lot of. New developments to come and unanswered questions to answer. Without a doubt. All right, Travis, thank you so much. It was nice talking with you, and hopefully we can do it again. Take care. Anytime. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. All right, so, yeah, Travis Gettys of Raw Story. Shannon Ragland of the Kentucky Trial Court Review wrote this. Davis is acting alone in her zealous mission. Her conduct has terrorized not just her staff, but everyone that works in the courthouse, and all for a foolish mission aided by out-of-state charlatan lawyers trying to raise money for their religious liberty mission? That about sums it up. Again, hopefully we come back tomorrow with a uh, happy end of the story of these couples that have been trying to get their marriage license, being able to do so, and um, Kim Davis rotting in, um, in jail. That's right, Kim. Keep saying no. Enjoy your new digs. By the way, before we wrap things up for today, um, let me put this out there. For those of us who've been going through late night comedy withdrawals, uh, our long national comedy 
shortage <laughs> is about to end. The Stephen Colbert era of The Late Show begins on Tuesday. I thought what we would do in the few minutes we have left is remind all of us of one of the things that endeared Colbert to us in the first place. And for that, we go back to 2006 and a few dings from the White House Correspondents' Dinner from Stephen Colbert to then-President George W. Bush. Enjoy. So don't pay attention to the approval ratings that say that 68% of Americans disapprove of the job this man is doing. I ask you this, does that not also logically mean that 68% approve of the job he's not doing? Think about it. I haven't. I stand by this man. I stand by this man because he stands for things. Not only for things, he stands on things. Things like aircraft carriers and rubble and recently flooded city squares. And that sends a strong message that no matter what happens to America, she will always rebound with the most powerfully staged photo ops in the world. The greatest thing about this man is he's steady. You know where he stands. He believes the same thing Wednesday that he believed on Monday, no matter what happened Tuesday. Events can change. This man's beliefs never will. And as excited as I am to be here with the president, I am appalled to be surrounded by the liberal media that is destroying America, with the exception of Fox News. <laughs> Fox News gives you both sides of every story, the president's side and the vice president's side. <laughs> but the rest of you, what are you thinking? reporting on NSA wiretapping or secret prisons in Eastern Europe. Those things are secret for a very important reason. They're super depressing. <laughs> and if that's your goal, well, misery accomplished. Over the last five years, you people were so good over, uh, over, over tax cuts, WMD intelligence, the effect of global warming, we Americans didn't want to know and you had the courtesy not to try to find out. Those were good times, as far as we knew. But listen, let's review the rules. Here's how it works. The president makes decisions. He's the decider. The press secretary announces those decisions and you people of the press type those decisions down. Make, announce, Tight. Just put them through a spell check and go home. Get to know your family again. Make love to your wife. Write that novel you got kicking around in your head. You know, the one about the intrepid Washington reporter with the courage to stand up to the administration? You know, fiction. Because really, what, 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 what? incentive do these people have to answer your questions after all? I mean, nothing satisfies you. Everybody asks for personnel changes. So, the White House has personnel changes. And then you write, oh, they're just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. First of all, that is a terrible metaphor. <laughs> they're, 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 this administration is not sinking. This administration is soaring. If anything, they are rearranging the deck chairs on the Hindenburg. 
And with that, uh, we are done with today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. Always my pleasure and honor to fill in for Brad and Desi. If you feel like it, if you're up early tomorrow morning, 10 to noon Eastern, uh, join us for the Nicole Sandler Show at RadioOrNot.com. And I'll be back tomorrow evening with uh, the Friday edition of the broadcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, Brad and Desi.